You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. All right, Father, thanks for your goodness and your loving kindness towards us, and uh, thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit, and uh, pray that you would uh, speak to us, and that you would teach us, um, pray that you'd bless us with wisdom in this, and uh, I pray that we would really uh, enjoy and see uh, the fullness of the good news of Christ. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so um, the title of this class uh, is the second class um, about sacraments and kids. Last week, uh, Matt Schneider taught on um, he taught on baptism, and um, this so this is just like a two week series. Coming up for the next the, the next four weeks will be a series on hard questions that kids ask, and so um, next week Doug Webster will be teaching on uh, heaven, and then I get the inglorious um, <laughs> glorious honor of teaching on hell because <laughs> kids ask a ton of questions about heaven and hell. So uh, I couldn't find a volunteer for that one, surprisingly. Um, so anyhow, but this week we're going to talk about um, when should my t- child take communion. And so the, uh, the basically what we're going to do in this class is we're going to talk about what communion is. Uh, because if we can't understand what communion is, um, then we can't really understand like when, when is the appropriate time for your child to, to take communion. And so... Um, so we're going to look at it in that way. And so we'll just start with some basics on uh, sacraments and communion. And then we'll talk about the, the big picture thing we're going to talk about is that, um, well, first, is it a sacrament is a physical celebration or a physical representation of a spiritual reality. Um, God knows that uh, we, are, we are physical beings. Um, when Christ returns, our eternal destiny will be to live uh, in a physical world, the new heavens and the new earth. And, and so with that being said, we live by faith, um, kind of trusting in and banking our whole life on spiritual realities. And so God knows that we need physical means uh, to understand and to touch and to feel and to taste those spiritual realities. And so he blesses us with sacraments. And so, um, and so with that being said, um, the, you know, the question is, how does communion serve as a physical representation of the spiritual reality that a person is a Christian. How is it that when a person takes communion, um, that is uh, a, a physical way by which they enjoy, they celebrate, they remember, they indicate, they profess that they are a person um, who has put their faith in Christ and who is in relationship with Christ. So that's kind of the question. How is communion a physical representation of the spiritual reality that a person is a Christian? Because the, the, the question really with when should my child take communion, the question is, um, is your child a Christian? And if your child's a Christian, then yes, they, they can take communion. So that's the, that's the, um, that's the deal. So what we're going to start out with is we're going to look at, um, hey, we have notes right there if you didn't get them. Um, and, and I gave the caveat that the notes are just purely my, my teaching notes. So they're not fancy or grammatically proper or spelled right. Um, anyhow, so the first thing we're going to talk about is the realities that communion represents and, and what, what communion means and how that's been debated um, throughout time. We're just going to spend 10 seconds on this, but I always, if I talk about communion, I like to start with this. And so um, the realities that are involved 
uh, with communion are three. One is remembering Christ and his work. Two, experiencing the presence of Christ. Three, receiving God's grace. And so different throughout church history, different parts of the church, different theological positions, um, they have uh, had different views on what communion uh, represents, what it's all about. And so um, start out with the first one, um, start out with saying receiving God's grace. Uh, so the Catholic Church historically has believed that communion, uh, when a person takes communion, that, that, that is saving grace. Meaning, um, uh, basically, when a person takes communion, that uh, enables their sins to be forgiven. Um, and I'm not going to get into all the, the complexities of it because it is really complicated. Uh, and I just really don't have time for that. And it kind of gets off topic. Um, but that, that's kind of the, the farthest end of it. Now, on the other end, you have the Anabaptists. The Anabaptists are a total reaction against Catholicism. Uh, this is after the Reformation. And the Anabaptists say, no grace at all. Catholics say, saving grace, your sins are forgiven. You must take communion for your sins to be forgiven. Anabaptists say there's no grace at all. It's purely just a memorial. You're just remembering what Christ did. Okay, and so then in the middle is kind of John Calvin and kind of the, the reformers. And honestly, uh, the uh, historic Episcopal view on communion um, is, uh, is, is most driven by John Calvin. And, um, and I, I, this is what I believe, not because that's what the Anglican Church believes, because I just think Calvin gets it right. Um, Calvin says, well, yes and no. There is a grace that you receive in communion. It's a grace that sanctifies you. It's a grace that comforts you. It's a grace that heals you um, and that strengthens you as a believer. But it's not a grace that forgives your sins. Your sins are forgiven when you put your faith in Christ. Um, it's not a saving grace, but it's not no grace at all. It's a grace that sanctifies you as a Christian. So that's kind of like the middle ground. So, uh, so one kind of component of communion is that a person is receiving grace. Um, we taught, there's a term called means of grace, like different ways we receive God's grace. Um, that comes, uh, that, you know, that's, that's very, very big in like reform circles. But three means of grace are the Bible, prayer, and the sacraments. And so communion as a sacrament um, is one of those means of grace. Okay, um, now the second component that's kind of debated is the nature of God's presence in communion. So on this end, the Catholic side, there's the belief that the actual, like when you take communion, when the priest blesses the elements, the uh, bread and the wine become the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, the underlying belief behind that is that Jesus is being re-sacrificed for your sins every week. And so the um, so that Jesus is actually present, physically present in the elements. You are feeding on the body and the blood of Christ. And so um, so that's like that's that's one view. Now you come over to the Anabaptist view, which of course is in reaction to the Catholic view. And the Anabaptists say no presence at all. Like, basically, nothing, nothing significant about communion. He's just as present in communion as he is when you're driving your car to the gas station. Um, and so that's the extreme. Well, here in the middle, Calvin says, well, yes and no. Um, <laughs> no, the, the elements do not turn into the body and blood of Christ. Christ was sacrificed on the cross. There's not a continual re-sacrifice of Jesus. So the, the elements do not turn into the actual body and blood. Um, but there is, Christ is presence uh, is present in a real way uh, by virtue of the fact of the doctrine of perichoresis, which that's all I need to say, right? Once you hear perichoresis, you're like, oh, psh, yeah, duh. Anyhow, what that means basically is that uh, all persons of the Trinity dwell within each person of the Trinity. They're all distinct. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit are all distinct from one another, but in the Father is also 
the Son and Spirit. And then the Son and the Spirit, the Son is also the Spirit and the Father. And then the Spirit is the Son and the Father. So, with that being said, um, when you take communion, the Holy Spirit is present. And Jesus is present in the Holy Spirit. And so, in a special way, Jesus is really present, but uh, not, not, it's not his actual body and blood. Um, and it is special, and it is more special, it is more real, say, than when you're driving to the gas station, so to speak. I don't know why I, why I got on the gas station analogy, but here we are. Okay, and so then, um, so then finally, the next component, remembering Christ and his work, um, remembering Christ and his work, uh, I would say, as I don't think that, that the Catholics would necessarily say, no, we're not remembering Christ in his work, but there's not a great deal of emphasis. Whereas on the Anabaptist side, Anabaptists are all sitting on this side of the room. That's why I'm walking back today. Um, anyhow, uh, they, uh, they, they, they say that is the point of communion. You know, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And so that is the whole point is remembering Jesus. And so Calvin says, well, yes and no. <laughs> he says, uh, he says, Yes, like that's a part of it. Remembering Jesus is a part of it, and so is receiving God's grace um, through the sacraments. So, so anyhow, and so here in the middle, that's that's kind of where the historically Anglicanism is. Um, so anyhow, so that's just to give you a sense of just some of the building blocks. And so, you know, talking about communion as representative of being a Christian, um, you know, uh, one of the things I don't want to communicate. Uh, is like your child doesn't need to know all the nuances of this kind of stuff. I don't. I don't want you to walk away being like, oh my goodness, my child has to understand like substitutionary atonement, uh, and, and my child has to have a you know a, a vision of the banquet, the marriage feast of the lamb in order to take communion. No, your, your child needs to be a, a, a Christian who has professed faith in Christ, and you know, and who can articulate that. that. That's kind of the standard when we'd say is a good time for your child to take communion. They can kind of articulate themselves um, that they trust Jesus. Uh, for salvation. And so we're going to uh, look at communion from a standpoint of past, present, and future. Um, what we're looking back to, what we're enjoying in the present, what we're looking forward to in the future with communion. And at the end, I'll kind of um, kind of wrap it into kind of like an age-appropriate articulation for a kid. Um, so with that being said, uh, let's start with the past. So, by the way, this was, I heard, I, I was jogging and listened to my old pastor in Charlotte, Mark Upton, talk about communion in terms of past, present, and future, and I just thought it was brilliant. I thought it was awesome. Uh, so I'm totally stealing from uh, Mark Upton. I've stolen a lot of things from Mark Upton. But anyhow, so past. All right. What we're going to do here is we're going to look at some scriptures that point to um, how we're looking back um, when we take communion. Um, and we're also going to point out in the liturgy um, where, where we see that indicated. Uh, by the way, if you don't have uh, notes, they're, they're right there, and it might be a good time to grab them because there's going to be a lot of scripture. Um, okay, so Matthew 26. Uh, this is Jesus kind of instituting the Lord's Supper. And uh, let's see, can I have a reader? Lauren, would you mind uh, reading Matthew 26, uh, 26 through 29? Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Okay, great. So this is Jesus you know, instituting the Lord's Supper. Uh, this is you know, He's getting ready to die. And the event at which this is occurring is at a Passover feast. So in you know, the Jewish faith, 
you know, the Passover feast was a feast where they would remember the Exodus. They would remember um, how God delivered them from slavery in Egypt. They would remember specifically um, how, uh, you know, God spared, spared them by saying, you know, sacrifice a lamb, take the blood, plant, plant, you know, paint it above your door and the angel of death will pass over your house. Passover. So, so they, they, this was, uh, you know, a, an annual thing where they would remember God's mercy. Um, they would remember the sacrifice of the lamb. And so Jesus, uh, with the Lord's Supper, um, is kind of positioning himself as the new, as the, the lamb of the new covenant. Um, and so, so Jesus is saying, you know, drink, drink of the, you know, um, eat the bread, uh, drink of the cup. This is the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many. And so by, by virtue of the fact that he is instituting this at the Lord's Supper, this tells us that this is, this is the intrinsically communion is looking back uh, to what God has done to save us. Specifically, as people of the new covenant, we're looking back to Christ's death on the cross. It's like, and uh, I think it's the right to uh, liturgy, um, Christ our Passover is sacrificed, Therefore, let us keep the feast. So we're looking back to what Jesus had done. Um, will someone read uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 23-26? Shannon, would you mind being our, our reader? For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. When it, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Okay, great. Okay, so again, um, you you know we are remembering what Christ did. We're remembering the blood of the new covenant. And whenever we eat and drink this cup, we're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. We're looking back to what Jesus did. And so you see in our liturgy, it says, Chiefly are we bound to praise thee, for the glorious resurrection of thy son. See, there's a spell, a spell a typing. Um, I did this at 6.30 at Starbucks this morning. So, uh, keep, yeah, again, keep those expectations low. Um, resurrection of thy son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. For he is the very paschal lamb who was sacrificed for us and hath taken away the sin of the world, who by his death hath destroyed death, and by his rising of life again hath won for us everlasting life. We also say in the liturgy that Christ did, inst- God did institute in his holy gospel command us to continue a perpetual memory of that, his previous death of sacrifice until his coming again. So again, I think a part of what this represents and a part of what it, what it means to be a Christian, the spiritual reality of being a Christian, is that um, we remember that Christ died for our sins, Christ died on the cross, and that by his death um, comes the possibility that we can have forgiveness of sins and we can be in relationship with God. And so that's just, that's in basic terms, uh, what it means, what communion means in terms of the past, looking back. Okay, so, um, uh, so secondly, present. What does communion represent in the present? Um, so in the present, there are, there are some real, there are, um, uh, a couple of realities. Um, one, and we'll see both of these in John 6. One of those realities is that uh, you realize, as a Christian, you know that you needed Christ's grace for your salvation, but you also know that you need Christ's grace every day. Like that's something we're continually feeding on and depending on. A second thing too is, as a Christian, you know that like, you know, it's funny because 
we sometimes think of this as childish, but when you know G- kids say like, you know, Jesus lives in me. Like I asked, I asked Jesus into my heart. Sometimes we kind of think that's childish, but that, that's actually like right on the money of the reality, uh, the relational reality of being a Christian. When a person becomes a Christian, Christ dwells in them, and we dwell in Christ in some mysterious, mysterious spiritual way. It's called union with Christ. And so the the kids like really get it right. Um, it's really funny. Uh, Joe Gibbs, who's a pastor here, they went to the uh, you know to the doctor for a checkup, and his oldest daughter was little, and um, the you know the doctor was listening to her chest. And she goes, can you hear Jesus in there? <laughs> Which is really, really cute, but spiritually and theologically uh, very accurate. <laughs> and so anyhow, um, Mary Bradley, would you mind reading uh, John 6, 41 through 59? So actually, you're going to cut and get a break here. It's going to be 40, 48 through 59, less work. <laughs> I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews soon disputed amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the Father ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Okay, great. Thanks very much, Mary Bradley. So again, you can see there's a lot. Jesus Jesus is not, you know, in this immediate context talking about communion, but certainly a lot of our sacramental uh, theology is driven from what Jesus says here. This is one of the, the kind of richer texts for this. And so, you know, Jesus is talking metaphorically about spiritually feeding on him, uh, Jesus being the thing that nurtures our soul. Um but um, and and so consequently, like when we take communion, like that's that you know that's a good way to think about it. It's like we're feeding on Christ, we're feeding on His grace um, for the strengthening and for the nurture of our soul and the comfort of our soul. Um, furthermore, in this, Jesus says that um, you know whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. And so abide uh, means basically to dwell in. Um, Matt, Matt Schneider said this really well. You, when you think about abide, think about abode. Abode is a home, a dwelling place. And so to abide is to dwell in Christ and Christ dwell in you. And that's one of the kind of, that's kind of to me, one of the cool things is like, all right, so when you're taking communion, you're eating bread, drinking wine, and the, those, that material, that matter, goes into your body and it's kind of diffused and it kind of becomes, you know, it's, Distributed throughout your body, however that happens, uh, biology ninth grade, long time ago. But um, but anyhow, but it is in you, you know, and it's a part of you. And so, in some ways, it's representative of the reality that Jesus dwells in you. And so, um, and so, yeah. So we're feeding on His grace in communion, and we're um, 
and we're remembering that Christ dwells in us in a way that's obviously very, very, very spiritual and mystical. And so something physical like that is helpful for us to, to kind of experience that or to make it more real for us. And we see that um, the language of this is, is all up in the liturgy. Um, it says, uh, grant that we receiving these creatures of bread and wine may be partakers of his most blessed body and blood. So feeding on Christ, like you said, in John 6 says again, another point in the liturgy, it says, Grant us therefore, gracious Lord, to eat the flesh of thy dear son, thy dear son, thy dear son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us. That's the end of the prayer of humble access. But there you see that union with Christ language of um, that, that we, he may dwell in us and we dwell in him. Um, and then finally, we, we say, you know, at the end, it says, feed on him in your hearts um, by faith with thanksgiving. It was so early. Anyhow, um, so anyhow, so you can see this language um, of like the present reality of feeding on God's grace and of remembering and experiencing our union with Christ, that Christ dwells in us and that we dwell in Christ. So that's the present reality. Um, promise we're going to get to your children in just a second and answer all your hard questions. Uh, but this is all going to be the kind of the, the foundation for that conversation. All right. So finally, the future. Um the future, we said past, we're looking back to Christ's death and sacrifice. Present, we're remembering how we feed on Christ, his grace every day, how Christ dwells in us now. Future is we're looking forward to um, the marriage feast of the Lamb. The marriage feast of the Lamb. Um, and uh, let's, let's just go ahead and skip to uh, Revelation 19, 6 through 10. Uh, I'll, I'll just go ahead and read that. Actually, you know what, Lisa, would you mind reading that? Thanks. Uh, yeah, down at the bottom, Marriage Feast of the Lamb, Revelation 19, 6 through 10. When I heard what seemed to be the voice of the great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty pearls of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen. Okay, great. Thanks. So this is the book of Revelation, and this is pointing to, you know, a future events um, in the heavens, uh, the marriage feast of the Lamb. And so it's a it's an actual celebration that that all the saints will enjoy in heaven, um, celebrating uh, Christ being united with His bride, the Church. And um, now I have over here in the corner a person who wrote a book on the book of Revelation. <laughs> Um, you want to add anything to that? Would you mind? No, no, this is great. Okay, <laughs> all right. Um, uh, he. <laughs> now, Kelly, will you please? Know? <laughs> um, yeah, you can see that was my total way of being like, if I say anything wrong, I'm just going to punt over here to the author. And no, but anyhow, and so uh, you know, Jesus uh, back in um, back in uh, Matthew. Um, well, come on now. 
Luke, sorry, Luke 14, there's the parable of the banquet uh, in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Luke 14, 12 through 24. I'm not going to read that whole thing, but you know, it's this parable about um, you know people being invited to this banquet, to this feast, and um, and you know the the opportunity to either receive or reject that opportunity. And so um, and so uh, first of all, I, I think this is really I think this is very cool and affirming uh, as far as like being excited about heaven in the sense of a lot of people think of heaven as like very boring. Think of heaven as um, you're just like sitting there singing songs. You're, you're basically you're trapped in the nine o'clock service for, the, for eternity. <laughs> <laughs> and you know here this is a description of like a lavish party. Um, I think a lot of times uh, when I go to like a really good wedding reception or a really good rehearsal dinner, and like the food is really good and 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 the libation is pouring, uh, it's kind of like oh wow, like this is a foretaste of of that, but 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 much better. Um, and so just like being able to kind of enjoy and celebrate and have fun, like that's a reality of heaven. And so, uh, and, and, and also too, it's like a meal. I mean, you can see I'm not, I like my meals. I don't miss too many of them. I get excited about them. And so with that being said, like when we take communion, like that's part of what's going on. Like everyone is coming up together. Uh, it's a celebration, um, of, uh, dining with Christ, uh, for eternity and in eternity. Um, the, the, the banquet feast of the lamb. And so, um, and so, you know, it says, and this might be a little bit of a stretch, um, but I say in the liturgy, when we say, therefore, with, arch, with angels and archangels uh, and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify thy glorious name, evermore praising thee and saying, holy, 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 Lord God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of thy glory. You see that that is um, language in the Bible that uh, that is heard almost exclusively when uh, someone is getting a picture of the glory of heaven. Isaiah 6, you see it in Revelation quite a few times. Um, but yeah, like we are, it, it's, it's, you know, here it is talking about with all the company of heaven, um, uh, this, you know, celebration of Christ. And so that's kind of a looking forward to. So this is, this is very much like a foretaste. Uh, when we come up and uh, take communion, it's a foretaste of, of the celebration in heaven and of the feast in heaven of the, the, the dining and the drinking in heaven um, and, and just of the heavenly realities. And so so that's the future element of it. All right, so um, so with that being said, what does this mean as far as the, the question of the class? Should, when should my child take communion? Uh, and, and this is, uh, let me say this, this is uh, something that, um, this is not like, uh, I don't, don't think that I'm Andrew up here like, uh, dick, you know, <laughs> giving out like, the new rules or, or whatnot, but this is something that Zach and Andrew and another clergy that we've talked about, and um, and that you know we this is kind of in a soft, so, uh, soft manner, like kind of what we recommend. Because here's the reason we brought this up is because there already are children who are not confirmation age, confirmation age who take communion, like the, the children they're Christians and they have a testimony and they've told that testimony to a staff member, and um, and they you know partake in communion. And so we just like want that to be on offer uh, to to any kid who's a believer, but we also want it to be meaningful. We want it to be something where the parents are involved. So, so here's the thing um, to answer the question: you know, when should my child take communion? Well, when your child is a, a Christian, and I would say when your child is a Christian, that you as a parent can kind of discern as best as you can as a human being and not God. That yeah, I think I, I really think this is real. You know, like do I think that my five-year-old is a Christian? I kind of think so, yeah. 
Um, but I'm also, I'm also like, you know, she's five, you know, and she usually what she can articulate a lot of these things, but I think she can articulate them because, uh, you know, because her dad's the youth pastor of the church. And we talk about this kind of stuff a lot. And we listen to a lot of, uh, you know, catechism songs on, in the car and, and all that kind of stuff. I'm, I, I, I'm not sure if it's necessarily that she just has an expansive theological vocabulary because of her dad's profession or if it's that it's like a real thing. So I'm like, I'm not going to take my, I'm not like, I'm not going to take Mary Matthews, my five-year-old to go see Miss Elizabeth to like share. You know, I think that that's, I also too, I think it's probably good if the child has initiates it. Um, and so, and she hasn't done that. So anyhow, that that's something for another day. So so anyhow, I, I personally, I think that what is good is to is for you as a parent to discern whether your child um, seems to have a relationship with Christ, that's real, and they have some ability to articulate it uh, in a way that, you know, in an age-appropriate way. You know, I mean, your child doesn't need to be able to say, like, Christ is our Paschal Lamb, uh, and, and so on and so forth. Um, and so, and I think the reason I talk about this past, present, and future is I think that kind of the components of kind of... Um, I would probably want to hear from my, I'm just going to talk about this in personal terms. I'd want to hear from my child that uh, they understand the significance of Christ's death on the cross. The, the, the Christ's death on the cross, that it has applications to them um, and the forgiveness of their sins and for them to be able to have a relationship with God. So that, that's one thing. I would want them to hear in present terms that they have a relationship with Jesus. Um, that's the second thing. That's the present part. That they have a like I have a relationship with Jesus, and that communion would just af- affirm that. And then finally, I would want them also to understand that Christ's death and their relationship with Jesus, that it uh, that they have an assurance of salvation in heaven. That they know that like when I die, I'm going to heaven. And why? It's not because I've been a good person. It's not because uh, I'm a church-going Birmingham resident. It's because Jesus died on the cross. I put my faith in Him and I have a relationship with Jesus. So those are, that's kind of the components of the testimony that I personally would probably be looking for. That those things are present. Um, the reason, and so anyhow, in terms of like process, I would recommend. Um, it, well, let me sorry, let me say this. Um, why why is this a good? Well, no, we'll get to that at the end. Um, the process we recommend is that first that this is something that the, where the parent is like the first responder, so to speak. I think this is a you know a conversation where. Um, and you can you, you can call us and lean on the staff of the church as much as needed, but this is something where you as a parent are probably discerning it with the child, and then and then from there like the parent and the child would maybe come in not maybe would come in to talk to someone on the staff that could be Miss Elizabeth, uh, the children's minister that could be me or one of the youth pastors that could be one of the clergy uh, anyone. Uh, and here's the thing. Here's here's the reason why we think that's that's valuable. Where we wouldn't just say, "Hey, okay, you got it," and then just send them on down the line. And if you've done that, no big deal. Like, don't sweat it. You know. <laughs> but we think it's we think first off, it's good for a child to have a rite of passage. Um, it's good for a child to to be able to um, to you know to to be able to just articulate that they have faith in Christ and that they would like to take communion. We think it's. We just think that's a good. That you see lots of rites of passage in the Bible. Um, you see, you know, we see it in our church in terms of like confirmation and different things like that. And so, for them to have a rite of passage is valuable. Um, did anyone here grow up, grow up in a believer's baptism setting, like a Baptist church, 
or um, not. Yeah, totally. There, there is some value in that, and the the you know the way it works in a believer's baptism setting is when a, they don't they don't baptize babies as uh, infants. They uh, dedicate babies as infants, and then. Um, when a child, whatever age that is, puts their faith in Christ, then the child is baptized by full immersion and they start taking communion. And so, um, and so, uh, just from kind of experience and relationships with people in that setting, there's, and from just talking to people themselves, there is, there is value in having like a sacramental threshold and a rite of passage for them to kind of be like, oh yeah, like, it, it helps in terms of their assurance of salvation. To know like, yeah, I like, there's a point, I had a testimony. And I take communion, and anyhow, there are all kinds of reasons for that. I'm not articulating them particularly well. Um, but also, too, like in the Bible, it says that we don't want to take taking communion lightly. We don't want, um, we, we, yeah, we don't, it, it, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, 27 through 29, he says, So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood and body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. So that's pretty strong language. Um, and, uh, and, and in the context, he's not, he's talking to believers, um, who have, um, who are, have major conflicts or disagreements with people in the church that have not been reconciled. And he's saying you need to, reconcile those things and examine yourself because we don't want to get the idea that you've got, <laughs> you've got to be perfect to take communion because it's kind of the opposite of the premise behind communion. The premise behind communion is like you're a, you're a sinner, you're a beggar who needs God's grace and like run down to the table. Um, but anyhow, but with that being said, we also wouldn't want a kid to um, like, oh, my buddy is now taking communion and I'm, gosh, I'm kind of hungry on Sunday mornings and uh, hmm, wonder what wine tastes like. You know, we wouldn't want those to be motivating reasons um, for someone to start taking communion. Um, and so, uh, so that being said, that's another reason why it's good for the parent to discern and then also for the child to have a conversation with a pastor and the parent um, so that they know that it's, if you're like, okay, well, let's go talk to Miss Elizabeth, they'll know that it's kind of a deal. And it's not just, you know, it's not just a little, uh, some, some uh, you know, a calorie boost <laughs> at nine o'clock in the morning. Um, okay, and so then finally... Oh yeah, and then the child will take communion, and we we're talking about when a child takes communion for the first time, just like recognizing that in the prayers of the people, recognizing that at announcements, not in a way that makes them feel really awkward. They don't have to stand up and give testimony or anything like that, um, but um, but yeah, in a way that where there's like some significance, you know, where they uh, where they see that this is something special, and um, and they they feel valued in that way. So so anyhow, so that's kind of the process that we talked about. Um, so why is this a good thing? Like. I know if, if you've grown up in an Episcopal setting, a lot of this may be kind of foreign to you because traditionally in the Episcopal Church, people don't take communion usually until confirmation. Um, and so, okay, well, if you know, why, if my child's a Christian, why don't I just wait till confirmation? And you can do that. That's that's totally fine. Um, but what I would say is, like, why would it be a good thing? Why is it if my child were in the third or fourth or fifth grade and they, they you know, they clearly um, were a Christian, clearly had a relationship with Christ, and they understood the gospel. Uh, why is it that I would encourage them to do that? I'd say one, it's it's one of the means of grace. You know, we need God's grace, and um, yeah, we need God's grace, and so it's one way we receive it. And so, uh, I, I, I'm a fan of that. Um, second thing is communion is a weekly remembrance and celebration of the gospel. Uh, you know, when you know when uh, you know, especially if your child is. Um, 
you know, as a, as a parent, as a church, we're communicating to them like, hey, when we, when we do this, like part of what we're doing is we're remembering what Christ did for us. And so it's a very, you know, I don't know. I don't know how, how what different ages, um, how well kids uh, understand the sermon or understand what's going on in the liturgy. But, you know, kids, in terms of their development, uh, concrete learning is very, very helpful for elementary age kids. And so, uh, so to have a very concrete um, action-oriented thing where they physically walk up to, um, walk up to the rail, they actually eat and they taste, um, for them, that might be one of the best ways that they um, hear the gospel again, or that they, are, they remember the gospel again. So that's another reason I would say that it's, uh, you know, if you're kind of debating, it's valid, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a helpful thing. And then finally, communion is a weekly remembrance and celebration of our union together as a community of believers. I didn't talk about that any in this class. Um, but there's a reason why we all go up there together. Uh, it's not, we're not just uh, remembering our uh, union with Christ. We're also remembering the fact that we're all united together in Christ. Um, you're in Christ, you're in Christ, you're in Christ. We're all in Christ together. So we are, uh, we are kind of bonded. You know, it's not just a, like a, it's a communion, all of us with Christ. So, um, so yeah, it's a, it's a good reminder too that they're a part of the family of God, that they're uh, a part of the body of believers. So, and I think all those things are like very helpful to their week, you know, weekly spiritual edification, um, as a kid. So that's why I think it's, it's, um, it's a, a good thing if a child is a Christian for, and it's the right time and based on your wisdom and whatnot for them to take it earlier than later. So anyhow, that was a lot. Um, and we have plenty of time for questions. Uh, does anybody have any questions? Pushback? Yes. Um, this is kind of specific, but you know, the, yeah. the children are dismissed before communion up through yeah. grade. So you would kind of think this conversation shouldn't even be looked at until fourth grade. Yeah. Logistically, um, Logistically, uh, that yeah, that's the case, and we're we're gonna we're not gonna get any earlier as far as keeping kids in church the whole time. Like that, we've kind of we yeah. Anyhow, <laughs> not into that. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. You know, the, the thematic element of the sermon is probably not is not always appropriate for under. Maybe so. I mean, good call. Yeah. Dismissing before the sermon. Totally. Good. You know, that's a very good question. So here's here's one thing I would say: there are some families who go to the five. There are some, you know. Yeah. Uh, holy days, but um, yeah. So if you thought that it was appropriate in like second or third grade, then you could totally do it. But you're right; they wouldn't be able to participate in it quite as much. So um, that's a, I appreciate you asking that. Um, so so my sorry, my answer to that is to say it's not as a rule to say children under the fourth grade should not. But practically speaking, you're right. It's probably probably won't have as much of an opportunity to participate. So yeah, uh, yes. That is such a good question, yeah. And actually, technically, you know, there is a communion service. There are multiple communion services here every week. Um, so, so I think that I, I, I'm on your side. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> um, but uh, that's just something that was put in place a long time ago. I don't even, does anyone know when the, that was instituted? Yeah, the alternating of morning because most most churches there is communion. This is I think this is a very unique and rare circumstance where we have alternate between morning prayer and uh, and communion. But no, I don't I don't really know, Julie. I do appreciate your question. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes. I was just gonna say I 
appreciate this and having grown up Baptist, you know, all the questions that I've had and how you, the things that were significant to me and how to incorporate it into our new tradition or this new tradition to me and our family. Yeah. Um, I was a little disappointed. Like, I know I've been holding Ella off and she's six and I've been thinking about this, so I'm so glad to hear. But um, at Christmas, you know, she's in the children's choir now. Yeah. So at Christmas Eve, you know, they're all marched up there and she felt like that was what she was supposed to do. So I'm like, no. Wait, my daughter's having communion without me for the first time. Oh, yeah. I mean, we talked about what it was, but it was just like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. It's as if she had eloped. Yeah. Anyway, and I appreciate everything that you said because just thinking through, I'd love to talk to you more about how you. Yeah, sure. Just some of those decisions for your child and talking through it with them, not having that moment where you are publicly doing something to make it, you know, but right. knowing that my child is a Christian, having been baptized into the church, but being able to talk through that with her and yeah. or them when, they're, when it's time. Right, that's... that's um, you're, not, you're not seeing people make this decision. So you're right, not totally. Asking those questions. Well, yeah. What, what should I be doing? So right. How you, you know. Yeah, totally. And one thing... Um, so, a couple, a couple of responses here. Um, so, one thing I will say, I, I also grew up in a setting where you only took communion like once a quarter. Um, and it was usually at night. We didn't go to the night service. So, it was kind of... Honestly, I may have taken communion as a kid like less than 10 times and I went to church like our family was as my dad said God gives us seven days a week we can give him one morning <laughs> so we we went to church um, but I never I like I may have taken communion like I don't know less than 10 times probably and then I went to college and uh, sometimes I'd go to the Episcopal ministry at night and you take it every single time and I was like that was great and then as I've kind of learned come to learn more about what communion is uh, I'm like I'm very grateful I I've, I I um, I'm grateful for, uh, uh, you know, denominational settings where, where it's taken routinely and it's not just uh, four times a year kind of thing. Um, sorry, what else was I going to say? Well, nah, forget that. Thanks. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly what I'm trying to ask. So maybe two That's all right. Hey, just verbal process. I'm one of those. So we're coming from a tradition that didn't have any confirmation class. Yeah. And we have a Good question. Writer. Yeah. She's already been to the communion for a long time. But, yeah. Um, so she's going through that process. So to me, like it's very familiar. I'm like, yeah, yeah this is great. Like, yeah, totally. You know, when you profess faith, then you start taking communion. So it feels like to me that sixth grade is kind of arbitrary because yeah. they just all take communion. Right. It feels like there's an assumption that they're all at the same place spiritually at twelve. Totally. So yeah. That doesn't make sense. So yeah. How and why does that happen? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know why or the the how the history. I, let me, I will, can, if I can answer a couple, answer a couple of questions within that. Um, we talked about, okay, so what is this going to communicate about confirmation? Um, because you know, we, uh, it, I will say there is a tremendous value uh, for us programmatically of having confirmation in the sixth grade, having a like basically introduction to Christianity course, try to really focus on building them up as a as a group, and then. Honestly, it's a great launching pad into youth ministry. So for pragmatic reasons, um, it's awesome. Uh, so why? Um, one thing I will say is as we do confirmation, we say this multiple times, I said it again today, uh, if you're not a Christian, like if you're not still not sure about Christianity, you're not sure about Jesus, not sure about God, um, you don't have to be confirmed. And I would say every couple of years we have uh, a student or two who they'll go through the whole process 
And at the end, they're like, I'm not really, I'm not ready to, to stand up and profess faith in Christ. So I do want to say that we, um, you know, in doing confirmation, we don't, um, uh, it's not just like a scene like, hey, every single one of you, you're a Christian and you're going to stand up there and you're going to profess faith in Jesus before the church. Um, so there is, a, there, there's like an out, so to speak. Um, and so the question then too is like, okay, well, why my child is ready to take communion? Why don't they, um, why aren't they going through a confirmation class as a fourth grader or a fifth grader whenever that happens? Part of that is, I would say that um, this, the content that we do in confirmation um, is uh, would probably be over the head of a third grader. That's uh, not like from a cognitive standpoint. It's it's probably wouldn't mean a whole lot to them. Um, and so basically, there is this is this is kind of the way we articulate it. Um, you have uh, any any child who's baptized is a baptized member of the church. Um, that's an Episcopal thing. I have no idea what what the basis is for that, but that's that's what it is. But then a person is a confirmed member, and a confirmed member uh, means that they they have a have a testimony, and they're also technically, and we don't really do this, but technically they're supposed to be able to to they're supposed to have like memorized like the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, there are certain just kind of like educational knowledge parts of being a confirmed member um, that go into it, and uh, and so consequently. That's why we said, okay, let's just keep the confirmation class um, in the you know in the sixth grade, and uh, and 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 the distinction being going from being a baptized member to a confirmed member. Um, so anyhow, you know, I'm sure that was not a very satisfactory answer. No, I guess my pushback. Is, I guess I'm just confused why that has to also end in communion. But I guess what you're saying is there's two, like a confirmed member is a thing, and then you take communion. I guess I just, yeah. Like, I'm like, I get why it's in sixth grade. I think it sense for them all to like study this stuff and talk about it together but that it naturally ends in communion yeah and 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 yeah the sixth grader, i'm like of course yeah there's an out but unless you're a very strong 12 year old that's true hard not to do what all your friends are doing no that's that's very true i, I totally i have i do not disagree with you at all yeah <laughs> it's kind of like making the best of uh, making the best of a structure a somewhat immovable structure you've inherited yeah yeah my understanding of it was that, that when they went on their retreat, they learned the communion lesson and they actually took communion for the first time. So I didn't connect it with confirmation. Like my husband does, it's a big thing for him. So he was kind of upset that they took communion. Oh, sorry, sorry. Sorry, Franklin. So, um, but, but my understanding was it was just like part of the lesson, like what you were talking about. Yeah. Like they were ready because they professed it and confirmation is more of a, Hey, I want to become a member of this church, and I believe, you know. Sure. I mean, I think that's well. I think that's well described. Okay. Yeah. Just, Sorry about that. Yeah. No, it's not. Sorry, Franklin. I took communion growing up all through. I like. I don't even remember the first time I did to get that. I was yeah. Presbyterian. So. Got it. Got it. Got it. Uh, anything else? I think we're kind of running out of time. Yeah. Hit, hit it. You might just come in on just getting a blessing. I mean, that's sort of some middle yeah. ground. Before oh, that's a good call. Um, yeah, that's really helpful. Thanks. Yeah. Okay. So, um, you know, if you're at a, um, so like when we go to when we go to the five o'clock service with our kids, um, we'll always take our kids up with us, and they they don't take communion, but they're prayed for by the clergy, um, and so that's something that you can kind of that's something you can do, um, and I think don't you do don't you like 
Yeah, yeah, you kind of cross your arms and they're like, hey, I'm not here to, I'm not here, I'm not here for the meal, I'm just, just here for the blessing. That's kind of how you place your order, if you will. Um, so anyhow, yeah, thanks, that's, that's very, I, I appreciate that, yeah, that's good stuff. Alright, I'm gonna pray. If anyone wants to have a combo after, I'm happy to uh, sit around the water cooler. Alright, Lord, thanks, um, thanks for all these realities, God, that you've made possible, uh, through Christ and through life, death, and resurrection and, um, for all of us, Lord, may we uh, enjoy and may we be uh, sanctified um, by these spiritual realities of the gospel. And uh, Lord, you know, with our kids, um, we just pray for them. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be pursuing them every day, and um, and pray that you know you would that you by your sovereign grace would um, provide the moments when kids would ask these questions, and we could have conversations with them about Jesus and. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you would um, you would uh, bless all, all the parents here with wisdom on how to navigate this. This is kind of tricky, and Lord, quite honestly, we're not you, and you know that. We think you're very clear on that. Um, and so, consequently, we we just really need your grace and your wisdom uh, on how to navigate this. And so, um, Lord, I pray that may we all enjoy uh, seeing our kids come to to know and trust you and. Um, and yeah, we ask these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.